Hey, welcome to Well Beings. We have a great show today. Uh, I have a discussion with Becky Doyle, and you're really going to like her. I don't know how anybody could, and she's a fantastic lady. I got to spend some time with her before recording the episode, and she had so many good things to say, and she had so many good things to say on the mic as well. So you're really going to enjoy this. I, I really am excited to uh, have you hear this episode. And speaking of this episode, it is brought to you by Jackson White, Attorneys at Law, a full-service law firm in the East Valley, and Birdie Scrubs, a medical scrub company where function and form collide to bring you the most comfortable scrubs on the planet. Okay, here's our episode. All right, here we are. Um, welcome to Well Beings. It is a delight to be here. I'm here with Becky Doyle from Banner Health, and I'm so excited to be here. How are you doing, Becky? I'm doing good. It's Friday, my favorite day of the week. So, um, and this is really my last meeting today. So, oh, good way to wrap up the week. Yeah, you know, Friday is my favorite day of the week too because you kind of have all the anticipation of a great weekend, and. Uh, you know, all the good things that you can do and whether or not they happen at this moment, I get to anticipate them and it feels good to think about all the good things that might happen this weekend. So Becky, um, why don't you uh, tell me a little bit about what you do at Banner Health? Okay, so um, I am a, a nurse by training. I've been a nurse for 29 years, which makes me sound very old. Um, and I work on the leadership team and oversee the transitions of care for patients going from the acute setting into the post-acute setting. Okay. And yeah. We identify or we define the post-acute setting as skilled nursing facility, acute rehab, home health, hospice, home infusion, and going home with home medical equipment. Wow. Okay. So that's, that's quite a bit. And, and so when you are helping your patients transition from the acute setting to the post-acute setting, do you have post-acute uh, facilities and um, home settings that, that you are sending your patients to, or are, you, or are you looking outside of the Banner Network for placement? So in Banner, we, we operate in several states, um, but we have... We have our own home health, hospice, home infusion, home medical equipment. Um, we have one skilled nursing facility on the west side. Um, we have three acute rehab facilities that we're in a joint venture with Select Medical. Um, and we, we have these, um, the post-acute service lines in Tucson, Phoenix, Payson, uh, up in northern Colorado and Greeley and Loveland. Um, and then we also have um, partnerships with other skilled nursing facilities in the areas that we are in as well because we need, for example, in the Phoenix market, we have 34 partners that we work with. In Tucson, I think there's eight, and in northern Colorado, there's eight. So Wow. Mm -hmm. So... 
So what does that entail then, transitioning patients from acute to post-acute? What are you looking for? What, what boxes have to be checked? And, and what, are, what are the logistics there? So there is criteria for each different level of care. So first, we need to identify the appropriate level of care that the patient should be going to. Um, and then we try to transition the patients out of the hospital as soon as we know where they're going. So we want them out timely, but to the right level of care at the right time. And um, we send referrals from the hospital setting into the post-acute space electronically. The post-acute provider picks up the referral, takes a look at it, make sure they meet criteria from their end. Um, the insurance company sometimes has to go in and authorize it. And we move the patient when we have all those things put in place. Wow. And do you have relationships with the patients? In my role, I do not. So I oversee the process. Um, I have folks underneath me who mm -hmm. are working um, directly with the patients or um, working remotely from home, taking the referrals and sending them electronically. But they... they they interface mostly with the post-acute provider and not the patients. I see. So we take the handoff from the hospital. So what is uh, the biggest challenge that you face in transitioning patients from the acute setting to the post-acute setting? I think the biggest challenge is moving the patient quickly once the determination is made that the patient is ready to discharge there's a lot of moving parts that have to come into an alignment so so we have to find somebody willing to accept the patient so they have to have a bed they have to be contracted with the provider um, then they need to get the authorization um, and and so especially with the COVID situation, when we would go to try to transition a patient from the hospital to a skilled nursing facility, for example, um, the beds weren't always available. So it's, and we have to get the patient out of the hospital so that we can put somebody else in that bed. So it's a little, it's a little stressful, I guess, um, trying to find a place to send them so that we can fill the bed with another patient who needs it. I think you've, I think you've uh, covered it pretty well. I understand the, I understand the dilemma that you're facing. Um, you, you talked about COVID. Now that COVID is a huge factor, if not the factor, um, are you seeing, are you finding it, it more difficult to transition patients into a post-acute setting? I think right now it's, it's actually easier. Um, people aren't as afraid of it. Um, we know what we're dealing with. We know how to operate with COVID. And so it's, it's sadly kind of become part of what we do. Gotcha. Yeah. And are all of the skilled nursing facilities now opening their doors to COVID patients? Or are there some facilities that are saying, no COVID, we want to be COVID free? I think that the preference would always be to remain COVID free. Um, and because of that, the Arizona came together and, and uh, 
we have some designated facilities that will take our COVID patients. So um, once you get COVID into your building, the regulations change for you. You mm -hmm. have to test your staff and test mm -hmm. the patients every week. And, and so once you get COVID, you can take COVID. But if you do not have COVID in your building, um, people aren't going to want to go ahead and just take a COVID sure. patient in there. It changes, it changes the whole dynamic. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So let's back up just a little bit and, and talk about, uh, let's talk about you a little bit. What got you into healthcare? Um, so I grew up in Iowa and I'm the second oldest of six kids. And when I was younger, uh, my favorite TV show was Emergency, which is um, with uh, Roy DeSoto, and um, they they were firefighter paramedics. And I would watch that show, and I would say to my dad, I want to be a paramedic when I grow up. And, and he said, girls aren't paramedics. That's not a job for you. Why don't you become a nurse like Dixie the nurse, who was also on that show? <laughs> And um, I, I did never, I never saw myself as Dixie the nurse because she wore the hat and the <laughs> white dress and stuff. So um, he said, I think you should become an accountant. And that's not how my brain works. I'm kind of an adrenaline junkie. And um, so anyway, I, I went to college and um, started down the accounting road and I hated it. No, not a whole lot of adrenaline in accounting, right? Zero. <laughs> yeah. And even though I was really good at math, I could not get that accounting um, brain. It just, I, I still don't have it. I have my MBA. I don't know how I did that. But um, so one day I was in a car with my friends and there was a motorcycle in front of us and he got hit by a car mm. and he flew off his bike and he was critically injured laying on the street right in front of me, and I felt incredibly helpless. Mm -hmm. And so um, I was living on my own, and I told my dad, I said, I'm going to school to be a paramedic. And so I did. I, um, I, there's three levels in Iowa, so EMTA, EMTI, and paramedic. So I took all three, became a paramedic, and... And I loved it. It was it was a lot of fun, but they didn't pay very well. Mm -hmm. And um, I was raising some kids at the time, <laughs> and um, I realized that I needed a, a different job where I wasn't gone 24 hours at a time. So I started going to nursing school while I was a paramedic, and wow. ended up in nursing. Yeah. Wow! So you've been busy, pretty much uh, out of the gate, huh? Yeah. 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 Um, so I did a little bit of research. Uh, uh -oh. I, I, re I read your LinkedIn bio. And in, in, in your bio, you said leadership is a privilege. Um, how do you think that privilege is earned? Mm. You know, I, I really believe that you have to jump into the trenches with your team. Um, I, I believe that Authentic leaders make the best leaders. And so, you know, I, I try to be real all the time with them. I, I don't, I'm not Becky at home and then Becky at work. 
who's different than Becky with her friends. It's just I'm I'm me all the time. Um, and I think really just transparency, honesty, and a willingness to to dig deep and support your staff. I love your answer. Okay. So another thing you said in your LinkedIn bio, um, you said that you enjoy a challenge. Tell me about a recent challenge that you've enjoyed. Hmm. Well, so I recently got promoted and um, with that promotion, my my scope expanded, and so I have oversight now of the one skilled nursing facility that Banner owns. Um, and I have I have a lot of operations experience in, in my background, but never in the skilled nursing facility. So um, I had to play phone a friend, and I called some of my um, SNF partners. I'm like, hey, this is this is the direction my career's going. I need to understand the regulations. Um, so I've just been trying to figure that out. The f I had to write the budget for the SNF. Um, had no idea how that worked. And so that is, that's my latest challenge. You're building the yeah. airplane as you fly. Exactly. <laughs> and, you know, in the midst of COVID, too. So <laughs> it's and, been and you're And you're enjoying this. I do like it because um, the one thing about my job is I will never get bored because there's always different things I'm learning. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you like to learn. I do. Yeah. I, I am a reader. Um, people ask me, you know, like, what, what are your favorite books that you read? It's like they're leadership books. I love them, you know. I, I do, too. Mm -hmm. and, and, and that kind of brings me back to one more question I had about the leadership is a privilege quote. What would you say your leadership style is? Um, you know, I think if I had to pick one, I, I align most closely with servant leadership. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I like to let my, my leaders know, here's the expectations. What do you need from me so that you can remove any barriers? Um, if there's... You know, if things are going tough, I'll jump in and help. And, you know, although, you know, some of the positions that I oversee, I do not know their roles, um, but I will do anything I can to make their role easier. That's nice. And what is, what's the hardest type of person to lead? Um, I think it, for me, it is the absolute know-it-all. Um, they are unteachable and yeah, I mean, people that are unteachable, right? So, mm -hmm. and, and I try to weed those people out when I interview them, um, because I'll ask them a question like, tell me about the, tell me about a mistake that you made, um, that affected your company negatively. What was that mistake? And if they cannot identify one, I mean, that's, it's a hard no for me. I, I, I just can't hire those kind of people. Um, and then I followed up with, what did you learn from that? What did you implement uh, so that that doesn't happen again? Interesting. Uh, we talked about this um, before we started recording, but that's the exact same question that I'm helping my daughter with on her uh, college 
application. Mm -hmm. Those are those are the essay questions. So good questions. And what is your favorite leadership book? Um, I recently read Range. Um, I thought that was a great book. Hmm. I haven't read that one. Oh, it's it's about how. Um, it used to be that you would specialize in in your field, right? And so, like, there's some positions where you really want them to be very narrowly focused and specialized, like a, a neurosurgeon, for mm -hmm. example. But you um, range is about taking somebody who has leadership qualities and using those transferable skills and putting them into a different role, I knowing see. that they're there's yeah. yeah so so a wide um, range of different skills versus, you know, the niche. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I know that there are, there are certain companies, corporations that that's kind of their hiring model is they, they look for people in fields outside of healthcare mm -hmm. altogether who have proven successful leadership skills. And they say, Hey, you want to run a building? And it, mm -hmm. it seems to work out pretty well because oftentimes those skills aren't unique to healthcare, but they're, right. th they're broad. They cover a range of, <laughs> of, of arenas. Right, yeah, and Banner recently did that. So we're, huh. we're hiring people from outside of healthcare to come in, and, and some of our top leaders are from outside of healthcare. Wow. So like Target, uh, Enterprise, um, just to name a couple. I Interesting. Mm -hmm. So much of it is about how you can deal with people, you know. Mm -hmm. um, if if you have if you have the right people around you uh, who understand the intricacies of whatever problems may arise, it it seems so much more important to be able to interface and interact with those people um, and motivate those people mm -hmm. than it does to you know understand everything about everything. Uh, it's so much more about how you can inspire people. Right. Yeah. So uh, the, the media is saying that Arizona is undergoing a spike in COVID. Are you seeing that in, in, in Banner? I, yes. Um, so we're starting to see more cases um, and uh, we're, we're modeling out what it could look like uh, over the next couple months and really anticipating that we're going to get pretty busy over the winter months. So Interesting. Can you share that with us? You know, I'm not even really sure that I can share um, a whole lot. But, I mean, I, I will just say that um, – Starting in December, with the flu coming on top of COVID, we are anticipating that the the love the the amount of patients in the hospital is going to be higher than what we're seeing right now. Um, mm -hmm. We're we're working to beef up our staffing, and you know, like for my staff, um, knowing that I need them to to transition the patients out of the hospital into the post-acute setting, we're asking them to schedule their vacations um, outside of the months of December, January, February, March, hmm. if possible, so that we can have as many people available. Wow. 
And do we, do you suspect that the, the pending spike, um, the, or the looming spike, I should say, will be higher or heavier than, than July? Yeah, that's what we're that's what we're looking at, and you know I think um, Arizona DHS is also modeling it out, and I think they have that out on their website. Um, mm -hmm. One thing that they were saying too is the hospital capacity may not be as much in the ICU, which is good, mm -hmm. more in the med surge, so mm. less critical patients, but more patients. Wow. Yeah. You think you have the capacity? I believe so. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Um, I also read that uh, you specialize in nutrition and health coaching. Is is that something that you're still doing? I, not as a business. Um, I, I still focus heavily on it. I, I work with some of my friends on it, um, and it really came about because in 2001. I, um, I got really sick and, um, and nobody really knew what it was. And so it was, uh, I had joint pain throughout my entire body and it was affecting my life. And I, I ended up going to see a, a rheumatologist and I saw this rheumatologist for 10 years, but I just kept getting sicker. And, uh, he said I had polyarthritis of unknown origin. And mm. he said, I, I really don't, I, I really don't know what, what's going on with you. So he referred me to go see a naturopathic physician okay. who then diagnosed me as being, um, having some food allergies that were causing the inflammatory response in my body. So as soon as I cut out the food that I was allergic to, which was eggs and dairy, um, I went from being on 10 medications to two. Wow. Oh. Like very quickly, so so I kind of got um, disenchanted with the medical profession for a little while, mm -hmm. and I'm like, why does no why doesn't anybody yeah. know this? You know, it's like <laughs> so um, so I got certified as a holistic health coach, and I started my own business to oh. help people lose weight, and I was focusing on type two diabetics. Okay. So, but you know. Being an adrenaline junkie, that wasn't <laughs> a very, you know, it, it was, quite frankly, it was a little boring for <laughs> me. And um, so then I got back into the corporate world, but I still do work with some people on the side. Okay. what uh, What's your framework? So someone comes to you, they're, they're uh, diabetic. Wh what do you look at? What are the markers you look at? And, and what's your, do you have a typical strategy? So really it's about... Um, it's all about food. What do you eat? How much do you eat? When do you eat? And, um, you know, even as a nurse and being hyper-focused on food my entire life, um, I did not recognize that, you know, if I'm, if I'm going to eat grapes, a serving is 17, right? I would eat 45, mm. you know? <laughs> and so it's like I, I had no idea around um, portion control. So it's it's eating healthy foods, eating the right amounts, you know, cutting out the things that might not serve us well, you know, um, alcohol in moderation. If you smoke, let's talk about that and yeah. trying to get people to be ready to change. It's kind of, yeah, yeah, they have to be ready. 
Yeah. And how do you motivate somebody? I mean, uh, it's no secret that smoking's bad for you, mm-hmm. yet people smoke. How do you mo- motivate somebody to give that up? Well, there's a technique called motivational interviewing. Yeah. And uh, really just, you know, assessing their change readiness and what is it, you know, what do you have to live for? What do you, what's important to you? And, and trying to go down that path with them um, to, to get them to verbalize the answers that they already have inside of them instead of me telling them what they should do because nobody wants to hear what they should do. Yeah. They already know. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. When I was in college, um, I, was, I was working at a group home for adolescent boys and one of the tasks I was charged with was running a group uh, for the kids that had uh, drinking and drug problems and and um, I didn't know what I was doing you know I mean uh, people were overseeing me I was still still a student but that was the when I wanted to learn how to help these kids. That was the f- the first book that I read. It was it was it was actually called Motivational Interviewing. It was I think was mm-hmm. the title of the book. So I read it, I read that. And I found it fascinating, and I found it to be uh, a pretty effective approach to helping people change. Right. I like that. So you've been you've been in healthcare now for twenty nine years. You said 29 years? I've been a nurse for 29 years, but I was uh, in EMS for six before uh, that. So. Okay, so 35 years. Over the course of the 35 years, have there been any pivot points where you thought, hey, this isn't the right job for me? Well, I have, um, let's see, yeah. Um, there was one time in my life when, and I, w- I had moved out here in 99 and had um, gotten into leadership, kind of dabbled my, you know, dipped my toe in it. And uh, in 2005, I had uh, a very particularly challenging role that I had decided I am never going to be another, I'm never going to lead another person as long as I live. I, so I stepped down from leadership and I went into the post-acute space. Mm-hmm. And I went in as a clinical liaison. So mm-hmm. I'm like, I can, I can drum up business. You know, it's, I, I'm, not, I'm not necessarily extroverted, um, but I'm 100% a driver. And if you give me a goal, I'm gonna get there. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so I, I went into that role. I thought I can, you know, just self-regulate myself. And um, within a month, I think, I was running their sales team. <laughs> and then they sold to a, a different company. And then within six months, I was running that home health agency. And I've just been wow. back. Yeah. So I switched from acute care into the post-acute setting at that time. And, and I loved it. No, it sounds like uh, you're a natural born leader. Yeah. <laughs> no matter no matter what position you've been in, you've kind of uh, rose to the top. So, um, you're you're in a position now. It's kind of a, a, an aerial view, you know, a thirty thousand foot view, um, but it hasn't always been 
that far removed. And, e and even at this level, you're at a position to have a significant impact on people's lives. Um, I'm sure you have stories that, that illustrate this point. And these are the stories that you probably tell yourself when, when those, when self-doubt creeps in, is, am I doing the right thing? Is this the right profession for me? Is this the right path for me? Um, I'm sure that there are, um, experiences you've had that pop up that, that validate, no, I'm doing the right thing because I've helped these people or I've made these types of changes or I've impacted these lives. Um, can you share one of the, one or two of those stories? Um, well, one thing I will say about Banner Health and, and my leader in particular is um, we start all of, our, all of our important meetings with a Sophia story. And Sophia is, is the image that Banner uses to represent all of our, our patients, families, key stakeholders, anybody we come in contact with. So, so what did we do to help Sophia? And so... And, you know, I sit on the post-acute leadership team and hospice is under us. So we're always hearing great hospice stories. So um, one story that I can think of was we had a, we had a patient at Thunderbird Hospital who um, wanted to uh, get well enough to go to his daughter's graduation. Um, not graduation, it was a, uh, oh gosh, what do they call it? Um, quinceanera. Quinceanera. Quinceanera, yeah, thank 16. you, yeah, 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 I'm full on gringo over here. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, so, so the staff all work together, so the hospital staff, a um, couple of my employees, the hospice staff, and they, they put that on for that patient, and um, he passed away the next day. Oh, wow. Um, or... With COVID, I had to take my employees who are all working in a facility and get them home. So they were working remotely. And some of my employees live paycheck to paycheck. And so sent them home and then touch base with them and say, how are things going? Do you like working from home? And stories about, thank you so much. I'm I get to spend more time with my kids. I'm not spending as much money on gas. Uh, or food, uh, eating out, and um, and we move them home permanently. And just I get comments from the staff about this changed my life. Mm. Thank you so much. My retention went up. My call offs went down. Productivity went up. Wow. So I mean stuff like that. I get I get excited about that. Yeah, that that is exciting. And um, that that is verification and validation that that you're in the right spot. You're um, concerned about people. You're concerned about making people be the best version of themselves, it seems. And it seems that, that you're quite good at that. And you've talked a lot about helping others, leading others, whether it's uh, through health and nutrition or through helping them with their job descriptions and making sure that people can um, accommodate the needs that they have with their families while also handling their their responsibilities at work. 
So you've coached a lot of different people in a lot of different arenas and settings. Um, You can't give away what you don't have, Mm -hmm. right? And so if the cup isn't full, there's nothing to pour out. What do you do to fill your cup? Um, So I did not really appreciate um, self-care until about the last... 10 years and and I would burn the candle at both ends and and I do believe that's how I got sick um, back in 2001 so so today I have um, I start every single day with some form of prayer and meditation Mm. um, and I have friends that remind me all the time that you know you are you were never born to be perfect so I had to learn how to let that go Um, I have a very strong support group of friends and and family and um, I meet with them regularly and we we talk about issues and you know I I have to be honest with things that are going on with my with my life and and you know I would never I would never tell people if I was struggling because I was raised um, with the don't ever let them see a sweat kind mm-hmm. of thing. So, so I would never tell people, right? And, um, and I think that in doing that, you know, you, you stuff a lot of things and, and it causes, it's got to come out somewhere, right? Yeah. So, um, so I'm, I'm honest um, about that. And um, I, uh, I eat right, I exercise. Um, I, I just bought a Peloton bike, uh-huh. and uh, it's kind of, you know, I, I call it my psychiatrist. Um, I, I have one, too. We, we, should, uh, <laughs> we should meet up in a class one day. We should. Yeah, that would be fun. <laughs> I have yet to do that with anybody. Oh, <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I just recently got it. I, I've had a spin bike for years, but this one puts a little, uh, well, a lot more accountability because people can see if you're really doing it or not. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, let me know when you're going to get on and I'll, <laughs> All right. I'll start back up again. Um, right. well, my, I just changed my username. So mm. it's, it, it, it was my name name and everyone has all these cute names or whatever on Peloton. So I changed my username to birdie scrubs. So look me up. Okay. Yeah. I'll do that. I'll do that. Um, my bike name is psychiatrist. So okay. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, it's and better than, uh, you know, clothes hanger. Right. Which is what <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what my other one kind of turned into for a while. But um, I hike a lot because I like to get outside. And, you know, that's where I connect with, um, with God. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a friend who says God stands for get outdoors. And, uh, um, yeah, you know, you for go. me, it's like it's, yeah. Yeah, so. I like that. You, I, I want to I hit one point. Um, and then I know that you got to go. You said you start your day with prayer meditation. Describe to me what meditation looks like, because I'm very interested in that. So it depends who you talk to. So I, um, I suffer from something a lot of people call monkey mind. You know, it's like mm-hmm. I can't stay I exactly in the moment, yeah. right? The Buddha, so the Buddha actually, <laughs> that, uh, he is the, yeah, that, that phrase originated from the Buddha. Yeah. So um, I read something in the morning, um, and then I'll sit there and think about it. 
Um, I try to be still. Uh, if I can get three minutes mm-hmm. right in the morning, uh, it's great. Otherwise, um, throughout the day, uh, on my computer, my monitor, I have signs that say, breathe. Are you breathing? Don't forget to breathe. That's funny because and I have something very similar. <laughs> I have a sticker. It doesn't say breathe, but I know that it means breathe, and it's on my computer. So mm-hmm. I do some similar things. Yeah. I also have bees everywhere, um, and bees remind me to be nice, be present, mm-hmm. you know, be in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. Be mindful. Be mindful. Yeah. He does have that sticker right here. Yeah. I mm-hmm. had that sticker made. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, it is, it's been a delight, and um, this is kind of an abrupt stop to a conversation, but I know you need to go. It's almost, it's almost that time. So thank you so much for your time. It's been a delight getting to know you. Well, we spent so much time talking before we started recording that we had very little time to right. record, but um, <laughs> thank you for coming. It's been, it's been a pleasure. Well, thank you for inviting me. You're welcome. You've been listening to the Well Beings Podcast. Tune in every Thursday to hear the latest episode. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. As always, thank you so much for listening.